Hi, I'm Caitlin from Tampa, a student pharmacist at the University of Florida in Gainesville, Florida. But today, I'm in New York attending the American College of Clinical Pharmacy's annual meeting. You're listening to Pharmacy Forward, a podcast about transforming knowledge into action. In this episode, we talk with Don Fouquet, Abby Fry, and Justin Bachman, clinical pharmacy specialists in primary care from the Providence Medical Group in Portland, Oregon, about creating gender-affirming and welcoming environments in healthcare settings. Well, greetings and welcome to the Pharmacy Forward podcast. This is Stuart Haynes, and joining me today is my co-host, Markeisha Cook, APGY1 Community Pharmacy Resident at the University of Mississippi School of Pharmacy. Hello and welcome. In this episode, we continue our conversation about gender identity in healthcare. And today we want to consider ways that healthcare professionals and organizations can provide gender-affirming care to improve the patient experience. Our guests today are Dr. Don Fouquet, Dr. Justin Bachman, and Dr. Abby Fry, all from the Providence Medical Group in Portland, Oregon, which is one of my favorite cities. They are clinical pharmacy specialists who provide direct patient care and consultative services in the medical group's primary care clinics. So they have lots of experience providing team-based care to a very diverse patient population. So Don, Justin, Abby, welcome to Pharmacy Forward. Thank you, Stuart and Marquisha. Yeah, thanks, guys. Excited to be here. Thanks, Stuart. Looking forward to it. So I have to admit that my interactions with transgender persons have been pretty limited, at least as far as I know. During my years at the VA, I did have a male patient who I saw pretty regularly who dressed in feminine clothing but never openly identified himself as a woman. And to my knowledge, none of my work colleagues or students over the years have been transgender individuals. However, it's clear that far more people than we once realized have gender dysphoria. Over the past decade, we've seen an increase in the number of transgender celebrities like Caitlyn Jenner discuss their gender identity more openly, as we also have seen more TV and movies with transgender characters such as Transparent and Orange is the New Black. Despite the increased openness to talking about gender identity, there's still a lot of stigma associated with, quote, men wanting to live their lives as women and vice versa, quote, women who decide they want to live their lives as men. First, why is there so much stigma? And second, what are the adverse health consequences associated with this stigma? I think one of the primary points to make is that there is a spectrum to the transgender and gender non-conforming community. Um, So any attempts to characterize the prevalence of the population should address the fact that not every individual will identify as either male or female. There was a recent survey where participants were allowed to free text their gender responses, and there were over 40 unique definitions of gender identity. That's a great point, Don. A meta-analysis from 2017 estimated that the current adult transgender population in the United States is about 0.4%, or in other words, nearly 1 million American adults fit under that transgender umbrella. However, this number is likely an underestimate for a variety of reasons. 
For one, like Don mentioned, not all transgender individuals identify with that term transgender. So if on a survey, for example, that's the only option, that survey is likely to underestimate the true population size. Another fact that makes it difficult to accurately estimate the population size of transgender individuals is that official records, such as the U.S. Census, for example, do not include data on gender identity. And finally, as you mentioned, there is still a lot of stigma surrounding the transgender community, and that has the potential to lead to underreporting. As far as why there is so much stigma associated with being trans or gender nonconforming, I think stigma in general is often a result of a lack of understanding and a lack of respect for people who are perceived as different. I think it also comes from an individual's or even our broader society's sometimes rigid views of what's right or what's wrong. It's important to remember that for over a century, the LGBTQ community as a whole was labeled as either mentally ill, socially deviant, or sexually predatory. In the United States, at least, these labels and characterizations have faded in recent years, particularly when it comes to sexual orientation, so for gay men and lesbians. The public's perception of these groups has really changed pretty dramatically over the past decade. However, the stigma associated with being transgender or gender nonconforming, which deals with gender identity and gender expression instead of sexual orientation, has really been persistent. Yeah, I completely agree with Abby. The public perception has changed dramatically in recent years, but it's also important to remember this stigma is worldwide and not just something that we see in the American culture. A major concern with this stigma our patients experience is it can actually lead to various health consequences. There's a wealth of evidence that the transgender community has a significant increase in the rates of depression and suicide attempts, almost 10 times the rate seen in the general U.S. population. Uh, additionally, rates of anxiety and risk for HIV and substance use disorders uh, have been shown to be increased as well. Something our organization here has been discussing a lot recently is the idea of trauma-informed care. And this approach actually focuses on how an individual's experiences throughout life, especially during childhood, are associated with their health and risk for negative outcomes. And then this stigma and the experiences that transgender individuals have throughout their lives uh, may not only result in more risky behaviors, but have a direct relationship with these negative outcomes. But also the big concern is it actually may lead to them being less likely to seek out care. Thank you for addressing some of the issues with stigmas associated with patients. I was specifically reading an article about how transgender patients believe that most healthcare professionals, including pharmacists, are not as competent when it comes to being aware of or sensitive to the needs of the patient community. So it's sad for me to think that healthcare professionals might actually be contributing to these stigmas that transgender persons face. What are some of the things that we can do to make our practices more welcoming? and affirming to those who don't identify with their assigned gender? That's a great question, Markeisha. I think, first of all, as healthcare providers, it's especially important that we take steps to counteract the discrimination and stigma and trauma that our vulnerable patients, including transgender individuals or other minorities, may have experienced previously. However, despite our best intentions, our unconscious biases may get in our way. So I think the first step everyone should take is to examine and acknowledge and then address our own unconscious biases. This can be easier said than done, but there are some really great resources out there to get you started. 
For example, if you go to Harvard's Project Implicit website, which is just implicit.harvard.edu, you can take a variety of different tests to help you uncover or identify hidden biases that might be affecting how you care for certain patient populations. And then more specifically related to this topic, the National LGBT Health Education Center, which is part of the Fenway Institute, published a really great guide called Learning to Address Implicit Bias Towards LGBTQ Patients. It includes several different cases and thought exercises in order to help the reader identify what went wrong in a particular scenario and ways it could have gone better. And I think one thing to really remember is that our belief is that in general, healthcare providers choose their profession to improve the health and well-being of our patients. And part of that means that we have a responsibility to establish trusting relationships by being respectful and responsive to our patients' needs. Um, In order to do that, we need to periodically self-examine our own practices, including the care locations and our interactions, and view them through the lens of our patients. Some ways that we can do this is healthcare providers can display signs of inclusivity and take a good look at their patient communications. For example, our patient intake forms and questionnaires should include a question on preferred pronouns as a universal precaution. Additionally, the medical records should be updated to correctly include this information as well as a patient's preferred name if necessary. Um, One other thing to think about is all members of the healthcare team should be looking for cues on preferred name and pronoun prior to addressing the patient. Unfortunately, our current health records do not have a consistent way to address preferred pronouns in our institution, and we've had to develop our own workflows for keeping track of this information. When caring for patients, we should always focus on the health concern for the visit and only ask questions that are relevant to the care that we are providing. If gender-related issues would not affect the medical decision-making, then they should not be brought up. As we've been talking about today, attitudes and beliefs about gender identity have real-world consequences, and there are systemic issues that can prevent people from getting the care they need. So what are some of the institutional and governmental policies that have, in recent years, tried to address this more progressively? They've been implemented to expand access to care and provide resources to the transgender community. Well, I think the most important thing for everyone to know is that current federal law, namely the Affordable Care Act, which was passed in 2010, prohibits most public and private health plans from discriminating against transgender individuals. This means that health plans are not allowed to exclude medically necessary transition-related care. Now, more recently, there have been a number of proposals by the current administration to remove some of these protections and to limit transgender individuals' access to health care. But as of today, the ACA and its protections against discrimination based on sex or gender do remain in place. In addition to these federal protections, many, but definitely not all, states have their own laws in place that protect transgender individuals. For example, here in Oregon, where we practice, state law mandates that insurance companies cannot limit coverage or deny a claim just because that procedure or medication is for the treatment of gender dysphoria. Regardless of indication, the treatment has to be covered if it is determined to be medically necessary. The Oregon law goes on to state that any healthcare service that is ordinarily or exclusively available to individuals of one sex cannot be denied based on the current perceived gender or gender identity of a person. 
So for example, let's say we have a patient who was assigned the female sex at birth, but currently identifies as a man and has undergone gender-affirming surgery. Insurance cannot deny coverage for a pap smear if that individual still has a cervix. So basically, right now there are protections in place, both federally and pending on the state at the state level. However, even though it is illegal to discriminate based on sex or gender, many transgender individuals still face denials on the basis of their assigned sex and are often required to advocate for themselves or go through lengthy prior authorization processes, which we all know can be incredibly difficult and frustrating. I've recently discovered a very informative website, transequality.org, which is from the National Center for Transgender Equality. And that website is targeted at transgender individuals with the goal of helping them navigate some of these hurdles. It provides information about the protections that are in the law and also advice about how to navigate the prior authorization process. So if you or a patient is dealing with this um, and facing some challenges, I think that would be a great place to start. I want to do my best to ensure that all my patients are treated with respect, but I admit that I didn't receive much training as a student about how to provide gender-affirming care. Can you tell us about some of the resources and training programs that are available to help pharmacists or other professionals better understand the issues and create those gender-affirming environments? Yeah, that's a great question, Markeisha. I think first and foremost, the most important step someone can take is to have open conversations with their patients. And not only will this help to improve and strengthen relations with their patients, but it will help them learn how to effectively and appropriately interact with them, learn what struggles they face, and actually help potentially reduce that fear of discrimination many may have. Uh, the resources mentioned by Abby are fantastic, and we're fortunate in that there are various free resources available to us out there. Now, I personally really like the professional guidelines from the University of California, San Francisco's Transgender Center of Excellence, as well as the World Professional Association for Transgender Health. Both of these guidelines provide specific recommendations on the hormone treatment options, uh, doses, as well as monitoring parameters. I don't think we all really need to be experts on the hormonal management, but at least having a general understanding will allow us to provide better care for all of our patients. Uh, another couple of good resources are the National LGBT Health Education Center and the National Center for Transgender Equality mentioned by Abby previously. Uh, both of these organizations provide free educational materials to help familiarize oneself with the terminology and the definitions used in the LGBTQ community, uh, as well as just how to respectfully and effectively uh, communicate with our patients to help develop that gender-affirming environment. I feel once you've familiarized yourself with the treatment and overall care for the transgender community, I'd recommend looking into the specific challenges and changes the transgender community may be facing in one's respective state. Uh, the Human Rights Campaign has a great website providing updates in the LGBTQ community, uh, but it also has the ability to focus in on state-specific issues. Lastly, as the disparities and care um, for the transgender community gain more interest, there's also 
Um, we're seeing many more presentations being provided at regional as well as national conferences. And, and for those that are able to attend one of these conferences, if there is a presentation um, on these topics, I would highly recommend someone attend just to kind of gain more up-to-date information and, and knowledge. And I think one thing to remember, too, is that transgender, gender nonconforming patients, um, just like other minority populations, they cope by seeking health care from providers who understand them or have some knowledge and are gender affirming. And by expanding these options for ourselves, we can help our patients overall. This is great. Thanks for sharing these helpful resources with us. I think all of us want to create a welcoming and gender-affirming environment for our patients. And some of the key points that I've taken away from our discussion today are that first, we need to be more proactive by updating the initial intake forms that we use. This can help us better understand the patient's preferred name, but also their preferred pronouns. We also need to update this information in electronic medical records and pharmacy records in a timely manner so that everyone is aware of the patient's preferences. And secondly, transgender patients are more likely to suffer from certain health problems like depression and substance use disorders. Third, transgender patients face significant stigma, and this impacts their willingness to seek care as well as access to care. Although it is against the law to deny coverage based on gender, sometimes coverage for medications are denied because they're being used for atypical indications and we need to advocate for patients. And lastly, we can all benefit from the many resources, websites, and training programs that are available. These programs help us identify our unconscious bias and better understand the healthcare needs of our transgender patients. Well, Abby, Dawn, Justin, I want to thank all of you for being with us today on the Pharmacy Forward podcast and sharing with us your experiences. It's been a journey for me, and I, as I assume it has been for you over the past few years, learning more about the health consequences of stigma and how we as health professionals are unwittingly contributing to health disparities. I hope this episode stimulates our listeners to want to learn more about this important topic. Yes, thank you. I have learned so much. Thanks for listening to Pharmacy Forward, a podcast about transforming knowledge into action. If you like this podcast, please subscribe using your favorite podcast app and tell all of your pharmacy friends and colleagues. Be sure to rate us and send us your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a story you'd like to share about someone who's transforming knowledge into action, send us an email. Pharmacy Forward is produced by the Division of Pharmacy Professional Development at the University of Mississippi School of Pharmacy. For more information about our professional development programs, visit pharmacycpd.org. That's pharmacycpd.org. This episode was conceived and developed by Elizabeth Yett, Markeisha Cook, Bianca Lascano, Elizabeth Hearn, Ha Fan, Megan Brown, Lori Fleming, Josh Fleming, and Stuart Haynes.